0: A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders, its heads, its judges and officers, and he said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for, for uh, your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that have already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will stand back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 5, therefore, be very strong to keep all to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the nations of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as He promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God For if you return back and cling to the the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out those nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that He has given you. May God bless the reading and preaching His Word.
1: Thanks, Pastor Tim. With an overview sermon like this of the whole book kind of nice to have that up front, right? He he just read the entire chapter for us. And we'll definitely be referring back to chapter 23 a lot. Lord willing, we'll look at 24 as well. So if you have your Bible this morning, just keep it there. Camp there between Joshua 23 and 24. Well, you know, if you've been with us a little bit, we've been, as Pastor Tim mentioned, going through the Old Testament. We went through the entire book of, of Exodus, And then we did an overview sermon on Numbers and Deuteronomy. And so this morning we're in Joshua. And as we concluded Deuteronomy, you may recall, we saw the passing of the torch of leadership, right? It passed from Moses to Joshua. The words we get there in Deuteronomy 31 are very similar to the words we see in Joshua chapter 1. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8 Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It was God's will that Moses lead them to the land promised to his people. And it was his will that Joshua lead the people into the land, that he lead them in carrying out the conquest. It's easy if you want to divide the book of Joshua. Joshua has 24 chapters. You can divide it in two parts, straight down the middle. The first 12 chapters have to do with the recording of the people of God entering the land. And then the second half records the division of the land according to the tribes of Israel. And then we also have these final couple chapters. And that's where we're going to settle and camp this morning. These final couple chapters in the book of Joshua where the leaders... The leader of God's people and the word He gives to God's people that have now taken the land that's been promised to them. That's going to be our focus. And I hope to give an overview sermon, a a sense of the entire message of the book and the message that God has for us, His people, this day. So let me pray. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for your word that you've given to us. Father, I pray now that you help me, use me as a messenger to communicate uh, the meaning of this book, what it meant uh, for the people many, many years ago, and also the meaning that you have for us, your people, this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first point that I want us to see this morning that I think we can draw upon from these last couple chapters in Joshua and in the entire book of Joshua as well. Don't let me limit it to just those last two, but it's this. God is a God who always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. He promised Abraham numerous descendants and as unlikely As it seemed, He provided numerous descendants. He promised the people a land and He gave them a land. He promised to be with His people, to go with them, to go before them, to never leave them or forsake them. And He did just that. He was the one that caused the ground to be dry as the people crossed the Jordan. He was the one that caused the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down, the city of Ai to fall. It was the Lord... It was Yahweh who did it all. Look there again in Joshua 23, verse 5. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Just as He promised you. And then down further in verse 14, we get these words. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. You may be here this morning, and if you were to describe your life, if you were to sit down with me or someone else and give me the highlights of your life, you would highlight broken promises. Many promises broken by people in your life Maybe those close to you. You would never think those close to you would leave you or forsake you. That experience is extremely painful. It can be confusing, overwhelming, debilitating. At times you you don't know where to turn. As a counselor, you can probably imagine this is a place where I often sit with people. They're hurting. They're confused. They're disappointed because they've been hurt by others but thankfully if they're believers I always have somewhere to turn I always have someone I can point them to someone that is always there who will never leave them or forsake them who's always dependable and reliable and if you're a believer that same one is available to you You can always turn to God. You can always count on Him. He's always there. When everybody else seems to be turning on you, He's for you. He is the only one you can bank on never leaving or forsaking you. And if if you're here this morning, friend, and you're, you're an unbeliever, that reality at this moment for you, it's not true. You are... An enemy of God. God is not for you. He's against you because of your sin. But, but, if you repent and believe, if you repent, if you'll turn from your sins and put your faith, your hope, your trust in what Christ did on the cross, you can move from enemy of God to child of God. And these same promises can be true for you. Life on this side of heaven is hard. It's not easy. Pastor Tim brought that out in his last sermon as we looked at Deuteronomy and Moses' life and many of the leaders of the people of God. Our, our happiness, our best life is not now. Life for us is characterized by brokenness and pain. And we're all experiencing that in some form or fashion this morning. For some of you, it's more significant than others. Whether that be physical pain or a broken relationship, overwhelming financial stress. It's the experience for each of us. And yet, we can hope in the promises of God. We can bank on Him. We are those who look forward to a better day. Believer, this morning, be reminded of these promises. God promises that if He began a good work in you, He will carry it out to completion. There is nothing, there is not anything that can separate you, child of God, from the love of God. No one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. God is a refuge and a shield to His people. His steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. I could keep going and going. I could spend the whole rest of the sermon here. Promises upon promises upon promises that we as children of God can always count on. They never fail. God always keeps His promises. We also see in these verses that God fights for His people. He fights for His people. Yahweh is a warrior. He is a God who is mighty in battle. Look back there at verse 3. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord God promised you. God was the one fighting for His people. He brought them safely into the land. And for you and me this morning, our battle, it's it's not a battle with surrounding nations, right? But we are in a battle. We're in a real battle with sin. We we battle, we fight against that sin that clings so closely. We're in a battle with, with spiritual forces of evil, and it's God who fights for us. Jesus went to battle. With the forces of darkness, the rulers of darkness, He purchased our victory. He won the battle. He defeated both sin and death. I'm reminded of Hebrews 4 here. Hebrews 4, the author says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. Brothers, sisters, we're clearly in a spiritual battle with forces of evil, and yet we have one on our side who came out on top the one who was without sin. Therefore, we too can experience victory over sin. Consider these promises from the Apostle Paul, Romans eight eleven: If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And Paul also, in 1 Corinthians 10:13, "No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you beyond that that is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Consider for a minute, just think of that sin. that that clings so closely to this such a a battle it may be lust it could be pride comparison envy jealousy the battle is great but grace is greater there is a power in us there is a power in you believer the same power that raised Christ up out of the grave we don't have to succumb to the alluring power and deceit of sin we can choose life and experience victory God fights for us Point three, God demands wholehearted devotion. We also see here that our God is a God who demands wholehearted devotion. As we've been walking through the Old Testament, we've seen God is a covenant-keeping God, right? He made a covenant with with His people. He promised to be with them, to go with them. And He laid out commands, ways that they were supposed to live that required their obedience, their wholehearted devotion to Him and Him alone. And violation of the covenant resulted in terrible consequences for the people of God. We we saw this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28.15 But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And also, similarly, in Deuteronomy 30, 16, if you obey obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you In the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Do you see this? This this, We see this throughout the Old Testament. Obedience means life. Obedience, blessing for the people of God. Disobedience, death, disaster, cursing. We see this throughout. We also see it here in Joshua 23. Just to highlight a few places again that that Pastor Tim read. Look back at verse 6. Be strong, therefore. Therefore, be strong. Keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations or make mentions of the names of the gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. And then down in verse 12, For if you turn back, if you cling to the remnant of these nations, know for certain, verse 13, the Lord your God will no longer drive the nations out, but there'll be a snare, a trap for you, a whip on your sides, a thorn in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that He has given you. And also verse 16, If you transgress the covenant of the Lord, which He commanded you, and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. The same truth about God is true of us today as as His covenant people. Disobedience ultimately leads to negative consequences. God desires to bless us and yet we reject His blessing when we choose to disobey the good commands He's given us. I think this is such a helpful point for us to think on as parents and grandparents. Pastor and author Ted Tripp, he often talks about a circle of blessing. And When he's, when he's teaching or in his books, he'll, he'll put just a circle there, a circle of blessing. And then outside of it is, is a danger zone, is how he describes it. And for, for children to know obedience following god means his blessing it doesn't mean everything's going to always go your way or life is going to be easy but you can count on the protection the provision the promises of god but as you continually persistently live outside of that circle of blessing live in the danger zone it's dangerous it is dangerous for you we also see in this verse these verses in verse 8 there, I think a very helpful picture for us to think of as the people of God. This picture of clinging. Cling to the Lord your God. Cling wholly, completely to Him. There, there's certain things we cling to, right? Many of us cling to our, our smartphone, our iPad, iPod, iPad mini, remote controller. There's many things we like to hold on to, right? That we don't want to give up and let go of. I was trying to think in my life a good example of this, just something, a good visual for me, and my mind went to my young children. They, they cling to Hot Wheel cars. They both love Hot Wheel cars, and sometimes it can feel like World War III in our home if one has one that the other wants. Corbin also clings very tightly to his blanket. Or as he calls it, his, his baby. And I know if some of you, usually he'll bring it on Sunday night. If you've seen him, you, you can't take that thing from him. If you try, please let me know if you, if you figure out a way or know how. He clings to it tightly. For him, it provides security, comfort, and assurance. And it, it's hard to distract him from it. He, he's not distracted by other things. If you try to distract him, he clings even more tightly. This is true for us as the children of God. He wants us to cling tightly to Him. To hold on to Him fully, confidently, without letting anything else distract us or get our primary attention. Clinging to the Lord brings life. Clinging to the things of the world, it brings death. We see this in Joshua chapter 7. The consequence for the people of God when Achan clings, he turns back to those devoted things, right? And this leads to Israel experiencing defeat and Achan experiences an early death. God demands wholehearted devotion from His people. And point four, not only does He demand it, He deserves it. So God also deserves wholehearted devotion. You know, anyone can demand devotion and attention, right? Anyone can try to vie from that from others. But only God can demand it and only He deserves it. As we think about the Scriptures as a whole, the, the Bible's all about God, right? It's all about Him, what He did. Look with me now at, at chapter 24, verse 1, there in Joshua. 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to, to Shechem and some of the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and, and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand." And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant I know that was a lot of verses but I think you see there just that flow the emphasis it's 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 pretty overtly obvious right the emphasis is on what God did not on what the people did it's what he did. You know, this is so countercultural, but it's so key to our Christian lives and our Christian maturity. The main actor, the key player, the protagonist, the, one, the king who rescues his people, it's God Himself. It's all about Him. It's what He did. It's what He purchased for us. We have to resist a man-centered view of the world. It's not all about us. It's all about Him. What He has done, is doing, And will do. Just think about how revolutionary a God-centered view of the world is for our lives. Think about it for your marriage, for those of you who are married. A God-centered view of marriage, it makes marriage more about God's glory and not my temporal happiness. Parenting is about making disciples and not about polishing trophies for ourselves that look good to everybody else. A God-centered view of work means seeing my work as a means for advancing the kingdom, not merely for advancing my own bank account. Athletics, they become more than mere avenues for fitness and scholarships, but instead they become opportunities to reach people with the good news of the gospel. A God-centered view of the world, it changes everything. In chapter 24, verse 4 14 there of Joshua we get these final words a final summons from Joshua the leader of the people to the people reminding them again this is who I am this is what I've done now therefore who will you serve who will will you worship so so take these four points I've given you this morning up to this point all about God and we could list 8, 10, 12 I mean Many more we could say about God. And, and then we get, in light of this, now therefore. And I think for us as Christians, this is helpful to remember. Grace, that is God working for us, working in us, working for us on our behalf, that always precedes our obedience. Grace always precedes our obedience. Look there in Joshua twenty-four, fourteen. Now therefore fear the Lord... And serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sights and preserved us in all the way that we went and among the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove us out before all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people of God said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and His voice we will obey. Upon initial reading, this this verse 19 there, you are not able to serve the Lord. That may sound to you a bit bit odd or contradictory, especially in light of what we've seen uh, in the Old Testament up to this point. Um, This statement, you're not able to serve the Lord for He is a holy God. It's a description of both God and the people. God is holy. They are not. The command is then to serve Him and to not bow down to any foreign gods. And their response is, we will serve the Lord. It's the right response. And all of these, each of these, God being holy, a jealous God, and, and we being commanded to serve Him and not bow down to foreign gods, all of these are true for us today. Nothing is different. And yet, it's impossible to follow through with the right response. This is the story for the people of God. As we'll see as we continue forward in the book of Judges, they say here, we will serve the Lord. But they don't. They can't. In the book of Judges, this is not the case for the people of God. It is impossible for us to express wholehearted devotion to God without God's help. Let me say that again. It's impossible for us to express wholehearted devotion devotion to God without His help. John Bunyan is well known for penning these words, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. For better news the Gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. We believe that the law is holy, it's just and good. It shows us the way, it shows us our sin But we also believe we need the Gospel. The law can't get us there. We need Christ. We need the Gospel. And God in His grace and His mercy, He makes a way for us as His children to express wholehearted devotion. The good news of the Gospel is that God chooses to regenerate cold, stubborn, rebellious hearts. Before a holy God, we stand condemned. None of us have lived up to the law's demands. But Jesus lived the life we could not live. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He died. He was buried. He was raised. And He ascended. All that demonstrating that He had defeated sin and death. And that His sacrifice on our behalf was acceptable to the Father. He bore the Father's wrath. The wrath we deserve. And if we turn from our sins, if we repent, and if we believe, putting our complete confidence and trust in him and his atoning sacrifice, we are forgiven and we're given new hearts. We're given new hearts. He takes those who are only capable of bowing down and serving foreign gods, and he gives us new hearts that now are alive and that beat for God. He removes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Hearts previously dead to the things of God are now alive to the things of God. We see this promise in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and we know that it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Paul says in Romans six seventeen, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Our struggle with sin is a struggle with distractions. We get distracted by the foreign gods around us. And just like the people of God during Joshua's leadership, we live in a land that offers to us many foreign gods. There are numerous options, right, that we can bow down and cling to. And we will cling to someone or something. We're all hardwired to worship. And we must strive, we must fight uh, against the sin that clings so closely, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. During Joshua's leadership, there was temporary rest for the people of God. Temporary rest from the surrounding enemies. But it was only temporary. Jesus provides for us rest that cannot be taken. Because of His resurrection from the dead, we have the promise of a present and a future rest. We await that inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. So again, I think the question for us this morning, the takeaway is this. It's the same question that Joshua placed before the people. Whom will we serve? Whom will we worship? Christianity, it doesn't make room for one foot in and one foot out. It requires complete, wholehearted devotion, daily taking up one's cross, a willingness to leave father and mother if that means advancing the kingdom. And this is a work of God. It is a supernatural miracle that He brings about in our lives. As I think back on my life, a time, a real pivotal time was my freshman year of college. I really believe that I became a believer late in high school. I was involved in sports and involved in FCA and there was a, a brother, a believer, who poured into me and I heard the gospel. And so I really think it was then where, where God came into my life and changed my heart. But as I think back to that freshman year, it was one of those pivotal crucial moments for me in my new walk as a believer and I think the Lord he often works in our lives in those key significant moments that can really set the course for our for the rest of our lives and for me that was freshman year I was at a big state school my horizons were expanded there were numerous influences uh, coming my way and three faces as I think back three faces come to mind Two buddies lived there in my suite. We had lots in common. We each played sports in high school, and we loved to get out on the pickup basketball court as much as we could. We had a lot of similar interests, but there was only one problem. They thought Christianity was a joke. At times they made fun of it. They were interested in worldly pursuits. And at times that, that was pulling me. I was, I was influenced by that and I was wrestling with this choice. Then there was another friend that, that came to mind. He, he was a couple years older than me and he lived in my dorm down in Hinton James on South Campus and he was an upperclassman. Now the only reason you lived on South Campus as an upperclassman is either you were a little bit crazy or you were sold out for Christ. And this brother was sold out for Christ. He lived there purposefully, intently to try to reach people with the gospel. And he pursued me. He would invite me to Bible studies and worship gatherings. And I was faced with this choice. Who am I going to serve? Who am I going to worship? And I knew I couldn't choose both. I knew I couldn't have both. It was going to be one or the other. And I'm so grateful God used this brother in Christ and moved in my life and my heart leading me to choose Him. The same choice that Joshua had to make, the same choice he laid before the people of God, is the same choice before you and me today. We each have a choice to make. Every moment of every hour of every day, whom will we serve? Whom will we worship? And if you're here today, the clear command from the Scriptures is for you to choose this day whom you will serve. We are commanded to choose God. Brothers, sisters, are we captivated by God? Are we overwhelmed by His love and His grace? Are we enamored with His promises? I know as a church, we've been talking a lot lately about evangelism. We're thinking on it. We're praying about it as a pastoral team. We want to foster a culture where we are sharing the Gospel with unbelievers in our sphere of influence. And sharing the Gospel with unbelievers in your sphere of influence, it becomes natural if you're overwhelmed by God, if you're captivated by Him and overwhelmed by His love and His grace, if you're enamored with His promises. Those who are captivated by God will walk across the street to begin a relationship with a neighbor that begins a journey of hopefully getting the Gospel to them. Let's pray.